Two truths and a lie. We're in a series out of Galatians, and if you have your Bibles, go ahead and and turn to chapter 3, right at the very end of chapter 3, that we're going to be looking at today. You know, it's what a great opportunity we get to get together on a morning like this, open up God's Word, and get right into what it's saying, and we know that it's truth. And the Scripture says that in God, He is truth, and there is no shadow of darkness within Him. So it's a, just what an awesome opportunity we get to have every day in our home, but together, together, and look into God's Word and find out what is true. All right, I'm going to give you two truths and a lie out of this Scripture, and you, you figure out today which one is which. To be, born, to be a born-again child of God, you get there only by faith in Jesus. Number one. Number two. Being baptized washes away your sin. Number two. Number three. All people saved by Jesus are the same, equals with no division. Okay? Let's see if we can find which one is the lie in the midst of those three statements today. And uh, I'm going to do something that I just rarely do. But if you'd give me about four to five minutes, I want to read an introduction to a book that I've been given. It's called The Birthright by Sheesby. And as I read this section, this, and I really wrestled whether I should do it because it's kind of hard to just to read and everybody listen to it. But listen to this story that happened in this guy's life and then what happens toward the end. It's very significant, I think, to the teaching that is in Galatians that we're going to be looking at today. So if you can, stay with me, uh, just come along into this story. It was a little after five, with coming home traffic zipping down the street in front of our house, when the doorbell rang. My wife Bev and I went to the door and we opened it, and a stranger filled the doorway with our son, Brad. He was a toddler. He was clutched in his arms and the man's eyes glared. Is this your son? He jumped, and before our S of our yes was spoken, he lit into a lecture. He was wandering in the road. Cars were swerving to miss him, stopping, honking. He could have been killed. Bev lovingly reached for Brad, grateful he was safe. Fighting back tears, she cradled him in her arms. Me, I showered the stranger with All kinds of apologies. I shook his hand, thanked him profusely, and then I shut the door. My heart raced. My face flushed. But the flush was followed by a deeper and a redder one as my embarrassment now turned to anger and my anger to rage. How many times have I told you to never get out of the yard? I yelled at Brad and he recoiled in Bev's arms burying himself in her chest. You deserve a good spanking, you little disobedient. I was so angry that I was on the verge of reaching over and spanking him. Instead, I turned my rage on Bev, shifting the blame to her. Why did you leave the gate open? She flinched and sheltered Brad's ears from the gale of words. How many times have I told you to make sure that gate is shut? This never would have happened if you had been more careful. Bev shuddered, took 
bread and to the shelter of the bedrooms. Once the storms of emotion subsided, I plopped into the living room chair. I was suddenly exhausted. My head in my hands, I was so ashamed of myself. Where had the anger come from? I'd almost lost my son, and yet there were no arms of compassion reaching for him, not for me. Anyway, no prayers of thanksgiving for his protection. There were no tears of joy for his return, only rage in a torrent of words. What had I become? What in the world had I become? Then it dawned on me. I had become my dad. The anger, the rage, the backhand of words slapped across the faces of anyone that was within reach. My dad, he wasn't a bad man. He wasn't a drunk. He wasn't a deadbeat. He wasn't considered a wife beater or a child abuser. He was, in fact, a pastor. A good husband in many ways. And in many ways a good father. But something was wrong with him. Something was theologically and something was wrong emotionally. As with this incident on the day Brad walked out in front of interpreters of what's being said. My sisters insist dad loved me deeply. But in my mind all I can hear or see are the whippings. The yelling and the shame, my reality. And that reality bound me up for much of my life. One of the cords that bound me was, was cut in an incisive word from Dudley Hall. If you, he's a pastor, preacher, evangelist. That I first heard a message he was preaching in July of 1995. And he said these words, you cannot give. What you have not received. You cannot give what you have not received. The text of his message was from the passage where Jesus instructed the Pharisees to go and learn the truth that God requires mercy, not sacrifice from us. He went on to say the reason the Pharisees could not give mercy to others was because they had never received mercy themselves. The result was that they practiced perfectionistic rituals for God instead of enjoying a passionate relationship with Him. Following this form of religion compulsively down to the tithing of the mint and dill leaves from their gardens. They became intolerant of those who didn't measure up to the high standards they were trying to set. Tithe by tithe, ritual by ritual, sacrifice by sacrifice, They molded their own idol by their acts of obedience. Distorting the divine image of God who was mercilessly angry and vindictive. I realized that I, like the Pharisees, could not give mercy to others because I had never received mercy. My father was a wonderful man in many respects just as I was a wonderful man in many regards. He had served long and well in his ministry, just as I had served long and well in mine. He grew up in a poor farm family with 11 dirt-faced children, wearing a tatter of hand-me-down clothes, some, uh, some terrible habits, of which was the way children were disciplined. You see, his father was angry 
and explosive, once beating him with an iron rod for disobeying. He was a hard man, my grandfather. His back bent by the plow, his face weathered by the sun, his forehead furrowed from the worries of feeling so many, feeding so many hungry kids, providing clothes for their backs, putting a roof over their head. He wasn't a bad man. My father's father wasn't a drunk. He wasn't a deadbeat. He wasn't considered a wife beater or a child abuser. He was, in fact, a good, God-fearing Christian. It was a hard-scrabble life my father had. Hard-scrabble lessons were preached at you, yelled at you, and if need to, beaten into you. In order to be right with my grandfather, you had to keep up all of your chores without fail. If you failed to feed the chickens before long, they'd fail to feed you. He would hear those words over. Forget to milk the cows one day and forget about butter on your bread the next. In the same way, to be, in order to be right with God, you had to keep up all the chores that were laid out before you. Attend church regularly, read your Bible daily, give faithfully, and so forth. A to-do list spanning both testaments. If you drop one stitch somewhere, if you slacked off a little here, if you slowed down a little there, who knew but that you might end up left behind when Jesus returned to take the faithful home. That theology was passed down from my grandfather to my father and to me. The result of this strict theology and how sternly it was applied was fear. I was terrified of displeasing a God who was prone to outbursts of anger. Every day I was afraid. I was afraid of God smacking me for stepping out of line, slinging me out or singling me out and shaming me in front of the church, shunning me in some way, condemning condemnation and guilt followed me through my life like strays nipping at the heels, at my heels, threatening to trip me up. I look back over my journals, he wrote, and they're filled with frustration of not being able to please God. Year after year, that frustration mounted until it became insurmountable. My relationship with God became a chronicle of one failure after another. I had no joy in serving Him. I had no strength to continue a joyless, loveless relationship with the gods who seemed impossible to reach and even more impossible to please. An image, and that's just the intro of this book. It, of course, it gets a lot better. But as you, just to hear the story of this guy, grew up in a very religious environment, but in that environment, what it came out to be was living up to a level of perfection to uh, what he saw was an angry, vengeful God waiting to single him out. There's that one line, because I grew up with the Left Behind series. You know, the book, the books are out. You know, if you, if you were not right on a certain day, then you're just left behind. Well, I want us to see if we can find truth in the midst of this story. So I want you to get, to, get your Bibles. Go to Galatians chapter 3. And I want to ask this question to this passage today. What happens when we fully trust Jesus to be the forgiver of our sins and the master of our life? What happens when we fully 
trust Jesus with our life. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For you, for all of you who were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to that promise. There is so much in those few words. I want us to break them apart just a moment. Let's, let's dig into these, these three verses together and just, and just see what it says. First thing, we become children of God through faith. We see that line in this passage in verse 26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Then John uh, recorded one day when Jesus said these words. It's recorded in 1 John chapter 8. That most of Jesus said, most assuredly I say to you. Hear Jesus speaking. Be very sure of what I'm about to tell you. I say to you, a slave does not abide in the house forever. But a son abides forever. That's big. Therefore, if the Son has made you free, you shall be free indeed. Total freedom. If you have been set free, you are completely, 100% set free. In this, in this passage, uh, Jesus is basically showing the two covenants. The old covenant under the law, the new covenant under grace in Christ Jesus. Under the old covenant... The commandments of God, I think I shared this last week, they're awesome, they're perfect. They're actually the, the character, the moral standard of the God that we serve. Creator God has those levels of morality in him. He's perfect. And, we, and the law is what we want to measure up to. We want to try to be exactly like God, but what it shows us in the Old Testament is that we can't make it, we can't measure to the God example. It's, it, we should be pushing toward it. We should make those a part of our life and, and do our best to never break the law of God. But so as people compare themselves to God, it reveals our inability to be approved by God by our performance. We cannot be approved by our Father God by our performance, no matter how good our performance is. And we, I've said it before, there are good days, there are high spiritual days that we've all had. We can look back on them. And you might be there now, or you may be at the lower end of the spectrum today. But the scripture says that on your very best days, our, our best acts are as filthy rags in his sight compared to his holiness. So performance is not going to get us to be accepted by the Father. Under the law, we are a servant or a slave. That is our position. It's an inferior position. Because what is the emotional motivation of a slave, if you think through it? It's fear. Fear of displeasing the master. 
If I mess up, I'm going to be beaten. If I, and it's a very temporary position because if we're not pleasing as a slave or as a servant, we can be gotten rid of, we can be sold. So it's a, it's, if we fail to keep the master's rules, it's a constant sense of uh, nervousness about pleasing or to be cast out. It's, it's very insecure relationship. And if, if it's found out of our ineffectiveness or our unfaithfulness, we're afraid we'll be singled out and, and made fun of or shamed in front of people. The servant to the master is a very weak or thin relationship. Keep that in mind. As we would always be nothing but a servant, our place then is always the possibility of removal. Now let's shift over to, to a new covenant. That's the old covenant. It's slave to master. In the new covenant, it changes completely. And you really need to catch this difference. Because I know people who claim the name of Christ, who have been, who have received Christ, who but live more like the slave to the master than they do to the sonship of following, of, of following Jesus. And it's a big deal. Here's the new one. We have a new position in Christ. We have a whole new motivation. You see, we in, in the new covenant, we are his child, not his slave. And our motive for working for him is because we love our father and he loves us. We do want to serve, but we're serving him because we, we love him, not to get him to love us. We serve him because he does love us. It's a big deal. Jesus declares that as his son, that he will abide, listen, forever. I didn't write the words. I'm not writing the theology. The, Paul says that the scripture teaches that Jesus says, as son, I will abide forever with you. Forever is without end. That makes a very secure position. If you have come to the cross of Christ, if you've confessed your sin, you've asked him to cleanse you, and you've invited him to come in and take over your life, he says, if you've done that, you move from slave to son or daughter to the father. And that position is secure. It is very strong. You have a room in his house. You have a place at his table. You get to share in his business. We have a position in a family that's permanent. And our place is secure. Boy, I hear that. If you've come to Jesus Christ, your place is secure. You don't have to live in constant doubt, worry, or fear because your salvation had nothing to do with your effort. We could, you know, all we brought to Him on the day of our salvation was our sin mess. That's it, all we had. And we just say, Lord, will you forgive us? And He said, Yeah, I already did. And then we say, Lord, would you take over our life? Yes, that's why I designed you. And he comes and fills us with his presence. What an awesome thing to be no longer. John says, the son makes you free. You're going to be free indeed. Paul said it in Romans 8, these words. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. Circle that, make, make a note of it. You've received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Did you know in America that if you adopt a child, you cannot disinherit them? 
You can disinherit your own kid, but you cannot disinherit an adopted child. I don't know that that ties very well to this, but it's true. When you're adopted by God, you're not going to be disinherited. He is a he is stable and faithful God. So my first two truths and a lie statement is this. To be a child of God, you only get there by faith in Jesus. How many of you think that's a lie? I guess it's just me. All right. It's the truth. That's the only way you get there is by faith in Jesus. He is our only hope. And he's enough. He is enough. All right, what happens when we fully trust Jesus with being the forgiver of our sins and the master of our life? First, we become children of God by faith. And second, here's a biggie, we are clothed with Christ. Paul just wrote this in this Galatian passage in verse 27. It says, for all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Okay, what in the world does that mean? What have we clothed ourselves with if we've asked Jesus to come into our life? Stay with me here. What have we put on if we've truly come to receive Christ into our life? Well, there's four things I want to look at very quickly. We get our spirit is born again. It was once dead. The second thing, we get a transformation of our soul. And the third thing is we are adopted into his family And the fourth thing, we're given a purpose in his kingdom. We get four things when we put on Christ. Let's look at it just a moment at each one, a born-again spirit. Did you know that when you were born, you were two parts complete and one part dead? When you were born as a little baby, it's hard to imagine this little baby, but inside the little baby... Their spirit is dead. You know why? Our great-grandfather Adam and Eve. Because of their transgression, we all inherit this nature of sin, a sin nature. And the result is the spirit within each person born on this planet is dead because of sin. So what do we get when we put on Christ? That spirit that is dead is cleansed of its sin and made alive by the, the possession of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is, now stay with me, the Spirit of God, when you receive, when you ask for forgiveness and invite God to take over your life, makes that spirit which was dead in trespass and sin come alive. So you're now complete, three-part complete. When you have the Spirit of God within you. The second thing that you get when you clothe yourself with Christ. See we have a spirit. And, that, and Paul also says that we have a soul. Our soul is eternal. That's the part of you that's going to live forever. Paul breaks it into three parts. It's our mind, our thinker, our will, which is our chooser. And our emotions, which is our feeler. We have three parts that make up the soul. But there is a transformation not only happens in our spirit, but there's a transformation that happens in our soul. What is that? Here's what happens to our mind. Paul says this in Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed, outside pressure, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, 
but be transformed, which is the metamorphosis if you've studied uh, biology and you know about the, the caterpillar that turns into a butterfly, but be transformed from the inside out by the renewing of your mind. So Paul is saying you have to take your mind back captive to what God's word is and make what he says be your truth. There has to be a transformation because we have been trained however many years you lived before you accepted Jesus. Your, our minds were trained to survive on planet earth. And now Paul is saying now, you've been transformed. You've got to bring your mind and no longer be uh, pressured into thoughts of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which is by the word of God. It's by this word, putting truth in and removing everything that was in there that was of deception. So, of our mind and then our will. What's our will? You begin to see that thing happen when you turn about two. It gets stronger about three. And then it never quits, does it? This, this will that's in these children. My son sent me a video of, how old is Coley now? Three months. A three-month-old little baby. And they were holding her up, and she was going, Arr! I said, you, the will is evidence early in her. Awesome. That's, that's good for you, son. My mom calls that paying for your raising. Whatever your raising is, I don't know. But we're paying for it. But a will is, how do we deal with it when, we get a, when we're putting on Christ? Well, the Scripture says this in Galatians 2.20. You know the verse. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. There is the will part of us that by discipline to the Word of God, we have to kill. We have to let it be put down so that it is not my will, but it is God's will in my life. That is the discipling process and the purpose of planet Earth journey. To make our wills submit to the will of God. And to fully trust what he says. So we have to bring our, our mind captive. Our will has to be crucified. Our emotions, if, if we're born again and our mind is transformed, our emotions get a gift. Kind of thankful for this because we can't really tell our emotions what to do. But here's the gifts we get when we put on Christ. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Within the emotional part of us, which is usually a mess, if you stop and think about it. How much of our life is just jerked around by emotions out of control? You get fear attached to emotions, and then guess what happens? It just gets so messed up. But it says here that when we put on Christ... We also get the spirit which living within our spirit and it brings gifts of a love, a spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. That's awesome that we get to have that. The third thing we put on is adoption. 2 Corinthians 6.18 And I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord. Now if you grew up, I, have, I had the one of the great blessings of a godly mom and dad. No way perfect, but a godly mom and dad. And so my home was full of blessing and life and speaking life 
and support and encouragement. But if you came from that home, awesome. If you came from a home that's opposite of that and you were raised under abuse, curse, damage, brokenness, and rejection, there's some really good news I have for you today. He says, and I will be your father. Sounded a little like Darth Vader, didn't I? I will be your father. Here's what we know about our father. He's good. He is love. He's in charge. He is all-powerful. Nothing is out of his control. And his plan for you, listen, is to prosper you. I'm not making it up. Scripture says that. His plan for you is to prosper. Boy, it's hard to accept that, isn't it? How many of us live way below the provision of God because we don't feel like we're worthy of it? And lastly, we're given a purpose in His kingdom. Romans 12, 4 says this, Now as we have many parts in one body and all the parts do not have the same function... And in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ. Individually members of one another, according to the grace given us, we have different gifts. You've been given a place in His plan. That's what we put on. Say, our sec- my second truth, two truths and a lie statement was, being baptized washes away my sins. How many believe that is a lie? It is. It's a definite picture of what has happened when Jesus comes into our life. But the water doesn't wash it away. It is by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Third thing, I'm going to do this fast, real fast. All things, number three, are that divided us are gone. All things that separated us are gone in Christ Jesus. Our American government needs Jesus. Because what do they do 24-7 on the news? Divide us every way they can divide us. And if not careful, we'll get caught up in it as us against them. When in Christ, all of the divisions are gone. It says there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are, thank you Jesus for this, We are Abraham's seed. If you are in Jesus, we have Abraham's seed. The promise of the Old Testament covenant is given to us as well. You know what we get when we have that? Here's the promise. I'm going to give you seven promises in close. This is out of Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, where God says, here are the promises that you get for being in covenant with me and it says right here that if you're in covenant with Jesus you have you're of Abraham's seed so these are yours these are what is expected I will make you a great nation he did God made America I think a great nation now it's turning severely toward darkness but it's not because of him it's because of when our willful sinful thing gets in control He says, I will make you a great nation. He says, I'll bless you. We've been blessed. I will make your name great. You thought that was all because America was awesome. No, it's because God had a promise that he gave. You will be a blessing. 
you will, I will bless those who bless you and I'll curse those who curse you. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That was our design. That was our God-given design. Because even those of us who are Gentile got to be called Abraham's seed. That's such a big deal. Thank you, Jesus. So the third truth of the lie statement is this. All people saved by Jesus are, are the same, equal, with no division. How many think that's a lie? He said it wipes out everything that divides us. We all now become part of his family, sit at his table. We're sons and daughters. We'll never, as adopted people, we'll never be cast out. We'll never lose our inheritance. We don't have to uh, worry on a day-to-day basis if dad's going to be mad and kick me out because he says I'm stable, I'm faithful, I'm just, and I'm good. His plan for us is to prosper. Can we accept that? What a good gift. Vicki, come on up. Let me just close with this. If your spiritual life is more, listen, if your spiritual life is more about fear, failure, doubt, and weakness, I would encourage you today to trade that in. Trade that in for full faith in Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. I can hear you saying, Mark, it sounds like you're setting us up that we can live any way we want to live because it's all about Jesus. Well, it is all about Jesus. I'll tell you that's true. But Paul said in Romans 6, is this gift of grace? Should we go on sinning? Because we can do anything now. He said, God forbid. How can we who have died to sin live in it any longer? I told you the other day, it ruins your sin life when you, when you get Jesus inside. We can still do it, but man, it's misery when we're displeasing to the Father. So all he says is just come and repent. So if yours is based on fear, doubt, worry, trade that in today and just trust Jesus to take care of you, forgive you, cleanse you, fill you, cover you. If you've been working so hard to get God's approval and you're tired, just like the guy in that story that I read, He got to the point, he's so tired, he just gave up. If you're tired because you feel constantly failure before God, trade that in for a good dad. Because your good dad, remember like the prodigal? He saw that son that had been messed up. He didn't go after him with a whip on the way back. He ran and grabbed him. Get that picture? That's our father. We're wayward. We're out. We're messed up. We got pig slop on us. But when we turn home, he's running to get us. He's a good, good father. So if you've got something less than a healthy, strong, loving relationship with the Lord, could I say today, trade it in. There's a better model for you. His name is Jesus. Lord, have your way with us. Speak to our hearts. Let us respond very quickly and specifically to what you've called us to do today. In Jesus' name, let's stand going to have the altars open for just a moment. If you need to come, please come quickly.